0: Welcome to the Monsters and Treasure podcast, where we talk way too long about a subject and just give you the best parts. I'm Daniel Norton from Bandit's Keep, here with K.R. King from D&D Homebrew. Today we're going to start off the show with a couple of calls, and while we're not going to address these calls directly, well, maybe we'll a little bit, (laughs) who knows what we're going to do, Uh, I will, uh, our topic is very much related to this. So first we're going to hear from Jason from the Nerds RPG Variety Cast, and then Joe from the Hindsightless podcast. So let's play those calls and we'll get into it.
1: I agree with K.R. I don't see why the Dungeon Master playing a different game is such a controversial idea. Hey, what's up, K.R.? What's up, Daniel? So because Daniel raised the question, I thought I'd chime in. I have no idea if this episode will ever get played. But as to the question of if the Dungeon Master and the players are playing the same game, yes. Yes. It's an undeniable fact. If you all sit down together at a table to play Dungeons and Dragons, you're all playing Dungeons and Dragons. (laughs) There's no, I I don't understand the mental gymnastics required to think you're playing a different game. Daniel's a very smart dude. You know, Daniel knows a ton about D and D and RPGs in general, but just like it's asymmetrical. Sure. You have different roles. Sure. But it's the same game. (laughs) Daniel even brought it up. World building and writing backstories. Those are both part of the same game. They might be different, but just like a goalie and the rest of his soccer team or the opposing team, just like they're all playing the same game. Just like a batter and a pitcher, though they are playing, they have completely different rules. There are completely different things that they have to focus on, things they can and can't do. But, but they're still undoubtedly playing the same game because they're both playing baseball. Just like you're both all playing D&D. It's, it's, it's baffling to me. I, I, I mean... If you're not playing the same game then somebody run call of cthulhu and somebody play pathfinder right that's playing different games that's when you're playing different games not when somebody's running the game and somebody's not and somebody's playing it it's 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 crazy daniel oh i've never had it explained to me in a way that makes any sense how they're different games again they're asymmetrical they have different jobs different roles to fill, but they're still the same game. Just like a first baseman and a catcher, just like a pitcher and a batter, just a whatever sport analogy you want to make where there are teams playing games. There you go. (laughs) It's wild to me, man. Absolutely wild. Anyway, great stuff. Keep up the good work and I'll talk to you both soon. Peace out. Well, there's a, an
2: interesting set of calls, especially Joe. Clearly, he cares about this topic, and you know feels strongly. And a lot to be said here. Uh, to me, it starts to boil down to a semantic question as opposed to some kind of true gaming question. But we can get into that. We're going to discuss that later. We'd like to hear from any viewers out there that have this, have their thoughts on when a g or Dara GM and the players playing a different game one of the things he talked about was you have different rules or you have different uh, tools within the game uh, that you're using as a player and a GM. And this is a thing where the question of, do the rules apply to the GM in the same way that they apply to the players? And uh, what do you think about that, Daniel, when you're being a GM, have you ever found that the players say, Hey, wait a second, you're, you know, you told me this was the rule and now you're having some monster, or you're saying it this way, or, or something else? Do you you feel that the rules apply differently to, and in what if they do, what way do they apply differently?
0: Yeah, I think this is a super interesting topic. Uh, The idea of the rules as they stand, like what applies to who, and who decides what applies to who. To the topic of whether the GM and player are playing the same game, we'll definitely talk about this in the future. I will try to boil down my thoughts on that so that it's not Super long and metaphysical. I don't know much about sports, so I'm gonna to have to look up some of these terms. Pitcher, batter—is that—is that from football? I, I, that's hockey, right? I'm not <laughs> that's sure. a it. pitcher batter is baseball. <laughs> okay, that's baseball. Yes, I remember playing that at recess. Or they put me in the outfield. Is that what they call it when they make you go maybe far right away?
2: right field? Is right where field. no one could hit in those days.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anyways, uh, yeah, no. So I think part okay. Part of it depends on the system, right? Now I. I am one of those people that, uh, as MW calls it, has a gap. That is that I did not play D&D uh, through my whole life. I played it when I was a kid and I didn't play for a long time. I mean, I'm not that old, but you know. Uh, and I didn't go through the like later second edition or any second edition, any of third edition. And I can see that when I went back and started looking at and researching the different rule sets, I noticed that even with the first edition, honestly, with the Dungeon Master's Guide, you, you get a, a game where it starts to give you more and more rules. And I think, based on conversations I've had, that comes from the idea that a lot of maybe immature dungeon masters were, let's say, not the nicest people. <laughs> so the rule set became a tool to shield the players from the terrible dungeon master. That is to say that if, it, if, it, if it's good for the goose, it's good for the gander, right? This is not my general vibe of playing, though. In my world, in my way of playing, we are playing two different games a little bit, not the same way, because I don't have those same rules. In fact, I go by the standard of DCC, which is monsters don't follow the same rules as players or anything like that. You create. Now, it's important, though, when you're looking at this to say you got to be fair. You can't go all right, zombies in this room, and then the player get, rolls a natural 20 and kills it in one shot, and you go, actually, zombies are immune to natural 20s uh, just because you didn't want the zombie to die. That is a screw job, <laughs> as KR would call it. But if you have in your notes, these zombies are permanently invisible, then they are permanently invisible. It's it's something that you created in your world. It's something you've done. And I think that if a player looks at it and goes, so here's my example. There's a, a long way to get into this. I was playing 5th edition in my long running 5A campaign, which it was about three years. And at one point, one of the players who was a super power gamer, super metagamer, loved them, loved him. He was awesome. We, they knew they were chasing a warlock and he figured out the warlock's level <laughs> because how many Eldritch Blasts the warlock shot, <laughs> right? So he's like, well, he shot this many blasts, so he's this level. And then he's like, all right, he they encountered a zombie that was invisible. That's why I mentioned it. And they killed it. And he goes, all right, well, if this zombie is invisible, and the next zombie's invisible. Then he's cast two spell slots. He only has this many spell spell slots. We can do this, this, this. Turns out they were just invisible zombies. Like it had nothing to do with the, the guy's spell slots. So when they went into this combat, he did have spells and he wrecked the player characters, <laughs> you know, because, it, and I didn't change anything to, to, to screw over the metagamer. It was just the way it was. And then after we were talking, cause I always had conversations with him. We stick the train back together. He was like, wow, what was up with those zombies? Why did they have another magic user? I mean, I have to know. And I'm like, no, they were just invisible zombies. He's like, they're not in the rule book. And I'm like, yeah, they're not. <laughs> you know, it's like th- there's something that was created. Actually, they were in a module, but yes.
2: Well, I mean, there's so many things there to unpack. Let's let's look at the invisible zombies. We'll start at the, the, the end and go backwards. Of <laughs> course, you can make up zo- monsters that have anything. There is no monster manual. So this is what I always tell people. If there was a manual of all the species that live on Earth, Tomorrow, they might discover a tube worm that's not in there, and they put it in. And they discover a fish that's not in there. I mean, it's rarer now because, you know, usually things that are found are very small. But there there is no monster manual. It's just a guide for you to use these monsters and create your own. So if you create a monster that has permanent invisibility, that's what it's got. I mean, you know, yes, is it an aberration? Does it maybe you feel like a beaver that runs around and has permanent invisibility. You're sort of like, what's the deal with this? Why does it have that? First of all, it could, but I would give an explanation. It was enchanted by some wizard had his favorite beaver dam and he wanted. So he gave it invisibility so that it could live. And there you go, I, you know, whatever, or some, mm-hmm. go, some God came along and said, eh, I'm going to give you permanent invisibility. But the point is there it is but you can't, you can't, so the rules, now you can't as a player say, Well, I'd like permanent invisibility. I want to research that and I want to get that. And you you as a GM have to decide probably you're not gonna because it's because it's right in the rule book. It's it's not there. And then we get into the mechanics of would a fifth-level wizard be able to research a permanent invisibility spell? You might say, okay, and there are I believe me, there are campaigns where all sorts of crazy things happen. I used to see sure. them and Because it's just that's the game. So there, you get down into the integrity of the rules. What are we trying to do, balance wise and whatnot? If all your zombies have permanent, or you know, zombies start throwing fireballs and stuff, well, it's a zombie wizard and he can throw fireballs. Okay, that makes it a different monster, and you know, it, it it can spiral a little bit. But certainly, as a GM, you have a right to to do whatever you want with your monsters. In my opinion, the second thing that was interesting was, I think the evolution of the rules. If you look at a 1960s simulation of, say, Gettysburg, and all the Gettysburg games out there, they were very abstract, they were very simple, and people started to say, I want a Gettysburg that really gives me a sense of what it was like to command troops as best you can at Gettysburg. And so these game designers started coming up with more and more complex systems to where in the end you had these monster games that were like took 1,500 hours to play. I mean, just insanity, right? But they were much more realistic. They used. Jim Dunnigan is a, taught at West Point, and all these games were used, and some of the tactical games have been used, And whereas nobody's using the original Avalon Hill Gettysburg at West Point. right? It's just a fun... But you, you can still have out fun playing it, because it's like, you're the South, I'm the North, or whatever, and then we're going to just play the rules as written. It's just a simple version of it. But I'm not sure it was necessarily... It was a different, a different thing with a referee. Haha, tying into that final thing because mm-hmm. what Daniel, what you were saying was, bad GMs will start making these fiat rulings, and I think there probably was some element. But I also think just as the game, games evolved, and people started just saying, "Well, what about this? What about that? How can we? How can we make this abstraction more of a rule based system?" I mean, again, that if you look at first edition D&D, you know, as opposed to the box set, you're just like, you could see that happening, all those questions that they got, right? And they wanted it to be more like the war games that they were seeing around them, more serious war games uh, that had more serious rules. So I think those are two different elements of, of, you know, of your answer to his question.
0: Yeah. I, I, I think it's really fascinating the the evolution that I've taken if we will as play as a player or a a GM I think I'm back where I was when I was you know nine or ten when I was playing like I, I actually I realized over and I'm not saying this is the best or better or whatever but I realized over time that all those rules are somebody else's house rules everything after the original game that somebody created even if they're better is still somebody trying to modify something that already exists and that somebody is not me So to me, I look at an original set of rules and I go, I can grow from here. So like now I've been looking at Traveler, thanks Chicago Wiz. And I'm like, I want 77 Traveler. I don't want 81 Traveler. I don't want 85 Traveler. I don't want Mongoose Traveler. I want to look at the original game. I may also look at the most modern game and go, oh yeah, I love what they did here. But if Gaiax tells me in the Dungeon Master's Guide that if you are not wearing a helmet, then I have to roll a D6 every round when you're attacked. And if on a one, it attacks your head because you know, your helmet, you're not wearing a helmet, then I can use that rule or not. That's his house rule. That's not in the rules. Why is d d an abstract combat system? But in this one case, it's super specific, you know? So it's like, why do we use different rules for different things? And as a, a referee or a GM, your job, uh, the game you play on some level is to decide what you want to use and what you don't like. That's a big part of it. Now, there is this idea that, and I agree with this, that the players should be part of that on some level. You're not going to ask them, hey, can zombies be invisible? But if you're going to make a change to the system, like if you're not wearing a helmet, then there's a one in six chance that your head is targeted. You might want to let them know that before they take their helmet off, trying to be cool like in every movie where the main star takes their helmet off in the middle of a battle because that's what you do. I'm only bringing this up because I just watched a video, commercial for a, a video game, a Warhammer video game, and they had these guys in these huge mecha armor suits and nobody was wearing a helmet.
2: You gotta see their face.
0: <laughs> a, you know, it's ridiculous! It's a, why would you not wear a helmet? Actually, if you want to call in and tell me why you would not wear a helmet, all the people that were that spent any time in the military will know that having a helmet on is terribly uncomfortable. But yes. you wear your helmet, and
2: that's <laughs> why people take them, or why people get rid of all their. For for a long time, in the military, they had guys from the, I think from the Napoleonic up through almost the modern time. They had these packs of like eighty pounds because they put all this gear on them. And first of all, guys would get rid of them. It would be hot, whatever. They would just take them out. Civil War is famous for because you can't... And plus, it's very uncomfortable to fight. So then they realized, you know, like, they realized half the guys didn't fire their guns in battle and they had to train them to fire. They had to get rid of these giant packs because they're too heavy for people to carry. So, again, the helmet thing, they are—they make them more comfortable, make them breathe, because you do want your troops to wear their helmets at all oh, times. Oh, yeah. Right? Well, if
0: you think about it, the helmet and is... Is is the thing that's really lasted, right? When did they go out armor? Like that's what people still wear.
2: So what I would say it's very interesting when you talk about the simple rules because to me, what it again always boils down to is if you play in a, someone you say, oh, my God, I know this person. He plays the box set exactly like the box set is. And I might say, oh, how are those rules? But I would also say, well, how was the game? Oh, it was really fun. It's he he's got this thing where he he's created this world and we're all on this archipelago and we're trying to find this like what's the source there was a flood and there's ancient technology down below this thing and we're running around and i could say that about the basic set i could say that about Mm -hmm. one, three, four, five. right it's all the same what is the gm create i'm talking about a homebrew world if you're running a module that's different oh and we ran the tomb of horrors well how was it oh we died in the second room yeah well that's the tomb of horrors and then was that fun for you maybe it's fun i really we got to room six then i got my head chopped off by a whirling blade really i you know to me, that that's not how I play. I play in a homebrewed world of world building, but it doesn't. It's system agnostic, right? If the person is a good GM, their world will be interesting. If they have good players. If you have a bad player, and you know, we've all had to deal with over the years. Every once in a while, you get. I have a player right now that I have to constantly rein in, and he, he's doing better. But the other players came to me and said, you know. We're not liking that. And so I had to kind of control that. Um, But again, that's so you you can't you can't even if you're the world's greatest GM can't play with bad players and you can't play with a bad GM. This doesn't matter the system. Now, what's interesting, I'll also say we could edit this. So I am watching you play these miniature things. And it just, I laugh out loud every time. Sally's always like, what are you, what's, I'm watching Daniel play miniatures. Now it's real simple, right? I'm thinking he's going to get, if he gets into this, he's going to go get Napoleon, going to get figures. And I he's going to start to go, well, let me just look at this rule system and that rule. Because I'm always like, well, no, if you had this kind of extra rule for firing this and firing that. But, and you may not, you know, I don't know, but it's just funny because we, we, we created rule systems like that when I was like 12 or 13, we had this, I had this rule system called situation critical that I made. It's terrible, but because we were doing exactly what you were doing, trying to, because we'd seen these guys play it at this game store and we were just one Mm -hmm. of the little players and then we wanted to play it ourselves. And we did the same thing. We came up with our own rules. Were they good rules? I mean, you didn't do, you're using rules, but. Those are such basic rules, right?
0: And yet you're seeing the fun there. Uh, What's funny about that is, or interesting about that, it does actually tie into this because I put my first series up and apparently I didn't do it the right way. (laughs) I wasn't using the right scale. And people that know about war games reply, and they were nice enough about it. They were like, oh, you know, you didn't do this. And this is why it matters. And I just looked at it. I was like, well, that's dumb. I'm, I'm thinking to myself, this doesn't make any sense. Why would... The, the same square, the same one-inch square, uh, hold the exact same number of horsemen as goblins. Goblins are tiny. Horsemen are big. I'm like, I'm not going to play it like that. So then I actually, this is why it ties back in. I went, let me go look at chainmail. On the first page of the rules of chainmail, it says, change anything you want. This is playtested, but it's playtested by our group. If you like something different, play it differently. Right there on the first page. And I'm thinking to myself, hell Yeah. That's exactly how I play games. So I know and I know what I'm doing. But to that idea, you have to make sure you're I mean, I'm playing solo, right? So to that idea, I have to make sure that the players know. So in this case, if it's a YouTube video, next time I record one like that, I'm going to say, by the way, I've made this change because I like it better this way. You know, you could run it this other way, which I think is dumb, but I'm sure some war gamer will tell me why it's not dumb and that people do take up this much space and whatever. But who cares? It's like to me, Like, it doesn't make any sense because the rules don't 100% make sense, much like first edition Dungeons and Dragons or any rule system where you start looking at the rules deep enough and you're just like, oh, this doesn't 100% make sense or my interpretation of it is different than yours. So who's right and who's wrong? You know, do we tweet towards, you know, the designers of the game and ask them or do we figure it out at our table as to what we believe is the right way to play? And different people have different answers to that.
2: Now, here's another interesting thing, what you were saying, back to the referee, and you're playing a solo game, but eventually, mm-hmm. in theory, and I saw you do this at a convention and you you had that experience where, uh, well, no, you were playing the other side, so you're not truly a GM. You can be a GM between two opposing forces in a miniatures mm-hmm. battle, which is what they do, of the French at <laughs> Austerlitz against yeah. the Austrians, and you're the referee, and you're just there adjudicating, can I shoot over this house can I do this can my units get into this square this river how where how deep is this river all that stuff and you're deciding as the referee and you might get people to get mad at you that say hey that's you know that's not correct or whatever but you have to have a referee or maybe the players together can do that but typically you have someone running the game right And they're making those decisions, and those decisions are final, and you have to put up with it. You might play one time and go, this guy was totally unfair. He favored his friend's side. I'll never play with that person again. Fine. And you may want to do that. Or you may say, wow, that guy was great. Knows all the rules. Totally fair. Everything he said made sense. Yes, of course, there's an abstraction here, and cavalry troops and goblins... We just say they take up the same space or no, no, no. Goblins take up less space in my version of this. So the squares are like this. Okay, got it. Now I understand. And you just move on, right? So, and again, are you playing the same game? <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to get uh, in that
0: <laughs> well Because that's I'm like, a whole other no, thing, you're right not. That... But, but, so, but I,
2: as a semantic sort of thing, but still, yes, all you're all D&D. sitting down doing that. So the GM... But if the guy says in my world, I'm I'm running a sci-fi Napoleonic and Napoleon is a alien that came down, hence his incredible abilities. And he has certain mind control where he can command troops across the way. And that's the extra thing he gets every turn. You go, oh, okay, he's got mind control and he can, you know, you may say, I don't want to play sci-fi Napoleon. Screw that. But you see what I'm saying? But it's just it's just what you have created in your Mm -hmm. in your thing. I think what you're on to with using the simplest rule set to then put your own stamp on it is you're probably, although I don't know, this community might be just as crazy, going to get less pushback than if you try to homebrew rules in 5e, because I've just played in a campaign where this guy homebrewed all these rules, and it very much unbalanced the system because of the... The level of rule sort of synergy here that you have, or if you... Now, again, it was because you had major things. You could throw spells endlessly until one of them failed. Then you lost the spell. Well, it just changed the game so dramatically that I was like, this is is not the same game, right? But because I was playing 5e, and I know what 5e is, but if you create a basic game where you just throw spells until they fail or whatever, like the sort of the DCC model, right, where they have different effects or whatever... Then, if you have coming from a simple system, I think you can play with those rules, and maybe get less
0: pushback from players. So, on that, and maybe this is a different subject. As we always end with a different subject, <laughs> I'll try to wrap it up and I'll throw a little uh, teaser out there because you mentioned DCC, which I think is interesting. So, um, right, I think that the the referee, I guess, in summary, I think the referee and the the or the GM or the GM or judge, whatever game you're playing, and the players do use the same rule book, we'll say, but they don't necessarily have to use the same rules. I think the DM does have leeway or should have leeway to do what they need to do to make the world interesting and fun. I think that you need to be careful as a DM to not do it on the fly because you are mad at the players or you want something to be a certain way. That is always a temptation and you always have to be careful. One thing I did when I very first started playing again, when I was playing 5e, is I would literally like make notes about things that were special, like right there on the thing, like this guy will do this in combat so that I didn't feel like, Oh, I'm just going to do something bad or save the players or expect. I mostly wrote it. If it was like, they're going to capture the players versus the kill. Because the, the, the idea would be to most people anyways, is that if they attack they're fighting you, they're going to kill you, but I would make notes. They're going to try to capture. They're going to whatever that way. I would, I wasn't like, Oh, I'm just being nice. Like I actually knew ahead of time. That was the way this guy operated. Uh, now I don't do that so much because I kind of just get into the head of the people and I try to be as fair as possible. I think that's super important, but back to the teaser. So what I think is interesting about this, I think we've kind of talked about this a little bit before, is that the reason why that doesn't work, the unlimited spell thing in 5e, in my mind, as it, but it does work in DCC, is the concept, which does tie back to this, that in 5e, and I don't know, I could be wrong here, it's been a while since I played, players just pick whatever spells they want. Like they have a list. When you make a character, there's just spells. It's like, here, here's the spells, pick what you want. That's not how it is in DCC. In DCC, if you're playing the game as written, I mean, you can do it that way. You're either supposed to roll for them or you're supposed to find them. So when you're playing DCC, a referee, while the player can cast unlimited, your referee can base the spells that are available in the world on what they feel is fair or safe or right for the campaign. And yes, you can do that in 5e, but not rules as written. You need to tell the players that. There's no sleep spell in 5e or something to that effect. In DCC, it's just in the rules.
2: And again, this gets back to in 5e, you could just say you're only going to roll randomly for spells. And in DCC, you could... So you're saying... So there's always that tension between... Well, this is what the rules are as written. But of course, I'm the DM and I can do whatever I want to do. So it comes back to that fair. What what, what rules are you ignoring? What are you, you know, and I yeah. there's all sorts of five E rules that I have said, eh, I don't like this. What's going to be this way or whatever? I did that with three point five. I've done it in all the systems. You just play it for a while and you go, I don't like this. We talked about counter spell and some different things. So
0: all the all, all the all the games say that. But the thing is, I think the more rules that are in a game, the more likely it is they'll be pushed back from the player. If, if you are if you write and it says magic users are people that cast spells, here's how many spells they can cast per level, here's the list of spells, and you give no other information, then when your DM goes, okay, your first level, you start with three spells, pick three that you want, or roll three, they go, okay, because there's no rule that says otherwise, right? In 5e, when it's like magic users do this, you decide as a player to do it, then you have to come in as a DM and say, I'm changing that rule. That then changes the thing, So I think you got to be careful about that kind of stuff, which is maybe a whole other topic, but because now we're talking about rules the players can use versus the GM, but that's more of a rule zero thing, right? Um, that In this podcast or this uh, subject, which we'll wrap up right now, hopefully, is uh, the idea that the GM uh, or DM doesn't need to follow exactly the same rules as the players, even in systems where it kind of says they do. I think it's not a great idea to be like, you know what? Every NPC has got to be created exactly like a player character. That's the only fair way to do it. I personally don't believe that. If somebody believes differently, obviously, or agrees, (laughs) feel free to call in.
2: I think it's a little... Okay, so now you're getting on a slippery slope of when you talk about NPCs that you run into, and if you're saying that they're a six-level sorcerer and they throw seventh level spells... Mm-hmm. Then they're not a sixth level. I mean, the person could say, well, that's, that's not right. a sixth level. Well, it's in my world. This guy has seventh level spells. I've just decided that he has those. What are you what I'm the GM, right? Well then then now you're getting into a thing where why are you calling him a sixth He's not a sixth level. Well, six, he's right. just a guy that has throws the seventh level spell. That's so right. he's not a true NPC in the sense of your character and those characters. So so there's a there's a mm-hmm. whole thing there where the semantics of it start to get into bulk well, because that's what rules are a semantical explanation. Yeah, I
0: mean NPC is any any NPC is anybody you encounter that's not a monster. That's an NPC in my in my definition. Just so that's clear.
2: If you describe him as a as a seven six level sorcerer, because I create I create NPCs that are that are like player characters. They they have the same stats. If i have a so wizard, I that. look at his stats and I look at his level and I see what spells he has. So mm. so for instance, I had players do a sending spell. Uh, they sent a message to a cleric. They knew well the guy didn't take a sending spell that day, so he had to. I, I was it a cleric chain was a druid or something it was i can't remember who they yeah. sent it to but maybe a wizard so i said well it's gonna take him a day they gotta change their spells i can't remember the exact determination but he's just like anybody else he operates under those rules of if he didn't take the spell he doesn't have the spell that day maybe he found someone that did i can't remember well right, but i didn't just that. go he's oh, oh okay he's got that because i just thought well how realistic is it to just keep that around maybe it is if you're that high level but so but I was operating under those the assumption that this wizard had, operates under the same rules that the players do. He, he he has to have memorized certain spells every day that he has.
0: That right. Kind but of is it. every NPC in your game that? What? Or do you just have some that are classed?
2: Yeah, and the, any NPC that they run into is presumably a super normal. Unless he runs the town, like he's like, you were saying, it was like the tavern keep or something. Let's say uh, an NPC. Let, let's that say they, they run a, into like a
0: group a, of men in armor with swords on the road on horses.
2: They might and be a, go under bandit stats, and then I might modify those stats right for bandits. So this right. band so they extra don't history. they don't
0: follow the exact rules as the player characters because they don't have classes.
2: Yes, yeah, so the only okay. ones that yeah. I would say in my world that I tend to well, I also follow try to follow the monster. Class. I mean, I look at them, but if you run into a group of men, I always use yeah. a template of are they bandits are they thugs are they whatever and then that that's an easy template but certainly I make changes to those but if I run if I have characters that are npcs that are like player character things which I have a lot in my world I always have it's a pain in the butt and I wouldn't recommend it to anybody out there because ever since 3.5 it's just a pain to do but I like to see what happens when you fight a group of player characters like that it's sure. it's really interesting when they it's the most challenging it's the most they they really get a sense of wow this is this is tricky right because these guys are doing exactly what they're doing and they're using all the same rules and the same system and it's it's like a miniature thing it's like a war game but i again it's very time consuming for the gm so i wouldn't recommend people do it but it certainly was what we did you know they had random monsters party of men and they were like other we had a cleric a wizard of Fighter, sure. and we would roll those up and have people fight them you know it was really fun for us because we liked that idea that was kind of what it all came from right it was miniatures against mm-hmm. two sides that were like we're just not just monsters but other humanoids it was just fun but it, when the rules got too complicated it became way too time consuming to do that so I, I don't do it nearly I mean not, not, but I still do it I still do it every once in a while yeah
0: so well yeah, I mean work. I do I do have uh, people in the world that are like pcs right that are class class leveled people, of mm-hmm. course, but not everybody is. You might encounter a guy that just has the ability to, to turn invisible. They can turn invisible twice a day. That's their magical power. That's just what they got. They're just a dude. They're not a, they don't have a class. So you might see that person. They might turn invisible, and you're like, ha-ha. Invisibility is a second-level spell. They must be some kind of a... Or maybe not. Yeah. You know, again, well, and that's just uh, the kind of thing that happens in my world, but that's also the world that I run, and the players know that.
2: Right. And as long as... Again, as long as it's fun and, uh, and fair... <laughs> You're not playing favorites and all, because they, they people key in on that, if you're playing favorites, if you're not being fair. They key in when you're a little bit of a softie on something, and they key in when you're, for whatever reason that day, you're saying, I'm just, this is how it's going to happen. you know. And mm-hmm. I I tend to telegraph that. I'll say, like, uh, you get a sense this guy tells you that these creatures that you're going to go, there, poison is super deadly. People have mm-hmm. heard that it's super deadly, and oh, it yeah. may just kill you with one breath. So they all go, KR's telling us, Super deadly, and he doesn't screw around. He's yeah. You're going to kill me. So they just go, okay, they get that. But I don't just come and say, the little mushroom explodes in your face and you're all dead. Oh,
0: no, I tend one...
2: not to do that. You yeah, could, that, yeah, I yeah, that's... tend to give a little bit of a telegram.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's also an interesting subject. I mean, that's a, that's a, <laughs> right. That's that's what NPC that's what NPC highlights are for. <laughs> yes, they're exactly. the ones that the mushroom they walk up was. to
2: the mushroom. What the, it's like yeah. the red shirts in Star Trek. Yeah, exactly. You know, the old,
0: but I, uh, so. I will say, though, that I do. I do actually because I play OD and maybe we'll maybe I'll we'll add this or not. We'll, we'll see. I, I do sometimes use people that are class leveled and I actually use the level titles which is real fun because I'll be like this guy's yeah. a, a necromancer, right? Or they're a wizard. A mere <laughs> Yeah. You know, and it's like, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Funny. This guy's you know, they're right they're 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 a swashbuckler. Mermaid, Myr- Myr- I, know how it's pronounced, yeah. but I always like it. Yeah, and and they will know, right? They'll be like, swashbuckler. Oh god, okay, no, we don't want to mess with that guy, right? <laughs> I don't just say they're a swashbuckler because they have a puffy shirt. Like if I say swashbuckler, yeah. it's it means it's a class level. But but I'm just saying that generally speaking, I don't worry about exact rulings because I also think to myself that like there's fairies, There's monsters. There's all kinds of stuff in the world. I mean, I could just be like, all right, I create a monster that looks just like a dude but can turn invisible twice a day.
2: Absolutely. And that's what's fun. Remember in the, I know you don't play Greyhawk, but one of the things in Greyhawk that they had was they had little combinations of monsters, this little subsection that said, think of monsters cooperating with each other. Think of monsters that aren't quite the same. And it was really, really like for us as kids. Oh, yeah, it's not just 1D6 whatever appears. It's like, how can they be, you know, symbiotic? And and then mm-hmm. I had a, a, one of my first GMs was always doing what you're talking about. He'd have some guy that could just turn invisible or uh, a fairy that could impersonate a person. And they'd be sitting there and then talking to you. It was like the old man by the river. And then you quickly realize, hmm, old man in the middle of the wilderness. Mm, this is not an old man. But <laughs> but nobody said, well, what the hell is oh, this? I don't see this in the rules. I mean, we just right. didn't care. It was fun. It was, right. you know, the guy didn't shoot out. 50 lightning bolts and kill the whole party, and then okay, start new guys because then you'd be like, Well, this is no fun, even right. if it, if, if you go, Yeah, it's his world, he can have a guy that shoots 100 D, to, you know, 10 fireballs, but so what? Well, that's no fun. So that kind of is always the arbiter of everything, right? If it's fun, yeah, 100%. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to hear your voice on the show, give us a call, there's a link in the show notes. You can find us both on YouTube. Uh, Daniel is at Bandits Keep. And I'm on D&D Homebrew, also linked in the show notes. If you'd like to support the show, please give us a rating and review on your favorite podcatcher. And we'll see you next week.